the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we should live in the light of the fact that Christ Jesus is coming back and how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. I want to invite everyone to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so I'm going to read, starting at verse 12, reading all the way through verse 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One of the things that you may have picked up is that one of the first commands given in this section of scripture is be at peace with everyone. And the way that it is framed is then with a comment about how the God of peace will preserve you and keep you. This is a section about peace, about how it is that we can live at peace, how it is that Christians can be at peace. And specifically, the way that we can live at peace and we can be at peace in this section of scripture is if we have godly attitudes It's if we discern correctly the work of the Spirit and don't quench the work of the Spirit. And we can be at peace when we know the God of peace. And so those are the three things that I'm going to be talking about today. And so first, we're going to be talking about godly attitudes. And verses 16 and 17 and 18 are probably the most famous verses of 1 Thessalonians. And these are verses that you you have probably heard or seen quoted. And it is uh, these verses right here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
So let's work through each of those and start with rejoice always. This is not a command to always feel happy. This is not a command to always act bubbly or to have the ability to crack a joke or to clown around at any given time. It's also not a promise that your circumstances will always be good, that you'll always be in the sort of place where it will be easy to give thanks or to rejoice. We know that that's the case because of the context into which this was written. This was written to a Thessalonian church that was experiencing opposition and hardship and persecution. This was written to a church wherein those that would come into the church would be opposed for entering the church. Paul, in fact, was afraid that the church would continue because he knew the opposition that they were facing was so great that he was scared that they might fold under that sort of opposition. And so he's not saying, hey, you can rejoice always because you got everything easy. He's saying in the midst of the suffering or the hardship or the persecution that you're experiencing, you can rejoice. In fact, you must rejoice. The time for rejoicing, therefore, is always, wherever you are at, whatever you are feeling right now, rejoice. No matter who has harmed you, no matter who has wronged you, rejoice. No matter what disappointments you have felt or faced, rejoice. Regardless of the victories that you have won or experienced, rejoice. If your home is tranquil tranquil and your career steady and your schoolwork done and your future feels secure, rejoice in those times. But also rejoice in those times where it feels like things are falling apart or your children aren't as tranquil as you thought or hoped they might be, or you've lost a friend or a job or failed a class, or a loved one has gone, rejoice. If times are good, you can rejoice because things are good. And if times are tough, you can rejoice because the afflictions God is using to do something in you, to accomplish something in you, they're producing an eternal weight of glory. So how is it that you or I might be able to rejoice in all circumstances. Well, there are two ways that we can do this. The first is we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be able to rejoice in all circumstances. And that's what the, that's what the scriptures say. If you turn with me just a page over and look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read just three verses at the very beginning of the book of Thessalonians, which helps us to understand a little bit about rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. Here's what the passage says. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what verse 6 says there? You received the word in the midst of affliction. You received the joy of the Holy Spirit with that. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are connected to the Lord God and you experience joy regardless of circumstances. And again, this is not a fake smile. This is not feeling excited all the time. It is the abiding sense that God is in control and that God has you. This is joy in all circumstances. The other way that you can always have joy in every experience, at every time, is by remembering the end. It's by remembering the end. This is one of the things that some of the commentators pick up on, and Greg Beal does in particular. He talks about how the end of God's revelation to us is is the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uniquely, there is a great deal of rejoicing. And there's rejoicing because God has won. Because God won. 
And, uh, and this is the case, says, says Greg Beale. He says, rejoicing always takes place after there's been a victory. And you know that if you're a, a fan of a sports team that wins. My apologies to the Sox fans that are here. But uh, uh, if you know, if you're a fan of a sports team that wins, you know some of the joy that happens when your team wins. That was a joke, man. Sorry, Ed. <laughs> I'll tell you an illustration of this. I'll give you one example. The, the most joy that I can remember feeling watching a sports game was, I think it was in 2011, I was watching, uh, I was watching the Blackhawks play Vancouver. It was the first round of the NHL playoffs, and it looked like the Blackhawks were going to lose. There were two minutes left in the game, and Vancouver had a power play. And what happened was that Taves got the puck, and he went towards the goal, and he put a shot on goal, and it, it didn't go in, but he stayed up on his knees, and from his knees, shorthanded goal, went into the net, tie game, 1-1. I was certain that the Blackhawks were going to win. I was watching with my roommate, a very, a very, you know, like, confident, masculine, manly dude. And we both just lost our minds and we jumped out of our seats and we hugged each other. And while hugging, we jumped around the room together like this because we thought the Hawks were going to win. I think they then lost in overtime, like pretty quick, which was disappointing. But for a moment, there was that joy that comes from victory. Now, the joy of the Christian is a far deeper and far greater and far more enduring joy And it's joy not because a a sports team that you like or appreciate has won. It's the joy that comes from knowing that that God will win. And when we take a look at the book of Revelation, we see the time where God wins. Where all of his enemies are defeated. Where he makes all things new. Where he wipes away every tear from the eye of those who have lost or who have mourned. God wins. And so we can rejoice regardless, regardless of circumstances. God wins. And the next thing that's said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is pray without ceasing. Now, here at Orland Park CRC, we're Reformed Christians. We have documents that help us to understand what the scriptures say. And one of those is the Heidelberg Catechism, which tells us that prayer is the chief way that we're supposed to respond with thankfulness for the fact that Christ has redeemed us. The way that the confessions say it is that it's the chief part of our thankfulness. Prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness. And this makes sense because the scriptures say that we should pray without ceasing. Now let me be clear. This isn't saying that prayer is the only thing that you should do, that you should never make time for other things. If that were the case, I shouldn't even be preaching right now because I should be praying instead. It's not to say that you should give up eating and instead pray the whole time, that you should stop working and you should pray the whole time. But it is saying this, that the Christian life should be characterized by prayer. That prayer should be a regular part of how it is that you act as a person. It means that when you experience joys, that your natural inclination will be to return thanks immediately to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. It should be the case that whenever you experience hardship or difficulty, that you immediately breathe a prayer asking for God to carry you through, to do something with it, to preserve you in the midst of it. It means that prayer should be the way that that your life is characterized from the time that you get up till the time that you go to sleep, that, that your day should be framed in prayer. It means more than that, you should begin meals with prayer, but that conversation with God should become a regular part of how it is that you live your life. And that as you engage with other Christians, you should pray with them. That as you're going through the day, you should be regularly praying. And in this way, you pray without ceasing. 
And so you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and you give thanks in all circumstances. In every circumstance, you can thank God. And in fact, in every circumstance, you must thank God. This reminds us that our attitude of of gratitude, our attitude of thankfulness, is not something that is confined to the good times. I'm not saying that you have to give thanks to God for all circumstances. You don't need to thank God that someone has sinned against you. But you must thank God in the midst of that circumstance for what he is doing through it and in it. You see, the Christian has a different relationship with the world than anyone else does. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. You might remember the famous words of the book of James, consider it pure joy When you face trials of many kinds, this is an unexpected section of scripture. Consider it pure joy when you experience trials of many kinds. Why? Because James says, because the testing of your faith produces endurance and perseverance. It means that in the midst of the hard times, God is doing something in you. He is creating within you an eternal weight of glory. He is releasing your grip on this world. He's fitting you for heaven. He's making you more like his son. And so that means in times of difficulty, the Christian gives thanks because of what God is doing in those times. You know, it's during the hard times often that God works the most within us. It's in those times that, are, uh, that the fire is burning, that the impurities burn away. And when the fire burns the hottest, impurities burn away the most. And so give thanks if if things are hard to God because God is doing something within you. This is how and this is why the apostles were able to rejoice as they were experiencing persecution. Because God was doing something. And so you know, you know that God is in control, that he's doing something, that he wins, that the Holy Spirit is within you. And this is why the Christian rejoices and prays and gives thanks at all times, even when things are difficult. And you know that this command to rejoice and to give thanks and to pray always is not something that I'm just inventing because this is something that comes directly from God. And that's what the text says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for all of us. This isn't something that we can ignore. This is something that's coming to us directly from God today. And so having taken a look at those first series of of commands... 
those first series of commands calling us to live our lives in certain ways, we also can find peace in our midst by discerning the work of the Spirit. And here some of the commands continue specifically related to the work of the Spirit. We're told, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything to hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's verses 19 through 22. And these are all connected. And the reason for that is that God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, will always convict of sin will always encourage you and me to follow and to obey the commands of the Lord. Words that are prophetic are always words to return to what the Lord has said, to what the Lord does, and to his ways. The prophets in the Old Testament were always calling the people of Israel to repent and to come back to God's ways. To hold fast to what is good, to reject that which is evil, which is why all of these commands go together. The Spirit will, the Spirit will move you and motivate you to that which is good, to refrain from that which is evil. Words of prophecy, if they are true prophecy, will call you to repent and return to God. And so that means that you need to test every teaching that you come in in contact with to make sure that this is a teaching that is pointing you back to the commands of the scriptures and not away from them. Prophetic words, again, are always words to return to the Lord in his ways. And so somebody quenches the spirit, quenches peace, or despises prophecy when they encourage disobedience when they tell you to pursue your own ways rather than God's ways, when they tell you that certain sins aren't really all that bad or certain sins are actually good. Instead, the call for you and me is to test everything. And so when you hear a teaching, test it. See if it's good. See if it's true. See if it's right. If it's good, true, and right and calls the believer to follow after the ways of God, That means that that's from the Spirit. If it's not, that means that it's false. It's false teaching. It's false prophecy. It needs to be avoided. You need to let go of it. And so, test teaching to make sure it's in line with God's Word. To make sure it agrees with what it is that God says in the Bible. And if it And if it agrees with the Bible, believe it. And then hold fast to what is good and avoid everything that's evil. And then as 1 Thessalonians comes to a close, it begins its close with this beautiful verse. Verses 23 and then then 24 also. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Isn't that beautiful? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As this 
book, as this letter comes to a close, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds the Thessalonian Christians and thus reminds us today that God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. And God is a God of peace who sanctifies us, who brings us daily and weekly and yearly to be more and more and more like Jesus. That God is a God of peace who sanctifies us and holds on to us because God is a God who saves. God saves, God sanctifies, and he does it by his power. It's through the cross, brothers and sisters, that you came to be saved, that your sins were forgiven. It's by Christ's resurrection that he gave you his righteousness and holiness. And it's by his sustaining power that the Lord God continues to hold on to you. And one of the promises that God has is that as he holds on to you, he will never let you go. Never. And as he's holding on to you, he's going to continue to make you into the image of his son. As he continues to hold on to you, he's going to continue to to work peace within you. And so in the midst of this, this world that's so often churned by conflict, the God of peace gives you peace. In this world that is so evil, our God is making you holy. And in this world of uncertainty, God is holding on to you. Because he who calls you is faithful. He can do it. He will do it. And after that beautiful section of scripture, there are just a couple more things Paul says, brothers, pray for us again, reiterating the importance of prayer. And so we're called again to pray. And then verse 26, the the section of scripture that might be the most confusing to all of us who just read this. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. You might have read that and you're like, "What, what in the world? Well, here's what it means. It means that after this service, y'all should go out and kiss each other. I, sh- I, I just expect all of you to go to the gym. I'm going to walk in there, and I just expect to see everyone kissing in there when I walk in there. No, that's not actually what the passage is getting at. And in fact, if I walk into the gym and I see everybody kissing, I'm going to leave the gym because I don't want to be a part of that. This is one of the times where it's important for us to know the context of what's going on in the scriptures. So kissing meant something in this particular context. It was the way that families at this time would express familial affection for each other. Does that make sense? It's not the way that families express familial affection for each other generally in the same sort of way today. And so what this, is, what this is calling us to, if we understand it contextually, this is saying, hey, greet each other in a way that shows that you are a part of the same family. Greet each other in a way that shows that you are united together as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, kissing would not communicate that today. 
And so kissing would actually be to disregard what it is that this passage is saying. Instead, this is saying, hey, greet each other and let, the, let, let people that are observing see that you are brothers or sisters in Christ. And so here are a couple things that you can do. These are ways that you can greet each other and express the fact that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You can eat together at times. You can embrace. You can hug each other. You can encourage each other. You can love each other. When you interact with, with each other in these sorts of ways, you show to each other, you express to each other actions of, of peace, and you show to the world that we're brothers and sisters, that are brothers and sisters because of what it is that God did, not because of how it is that we were born. And it shows us as well that the family of God, the family of God is made up of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and not by any other marker. Not by the culture that you're a part of, not by the race that you're a part of, not by the school that you went to, not by the amount of money that you have, but by being redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we interact in a way that shows that our, that our deepest and truest family is the family of God, we follow what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26 says when it encourages everyone to greet with a holy kiss. And then as the, the book comes to a total close, there's the oath to have this read before all of, the, all of the brethren, all of the brothers and sisters who are part of the Thessalonian church. And we have listened to that command because we have now heard the whole letter read in our midst. And as the... the pen finally comes off the page. It ends with this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, which is another beautiful way to end. Those of us who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus have been saved by his grace. And that grace not only redeemed you and brought you to him, that grace continues to be with you and to rest upon you. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.